Welcome. Welcome to Soul Talk episode number six. Wow. (laughs) What a time to launch a podcast during a pandemic, which has brought so, so very many soul issues to the fore on so many different levels, really. As a matter of fact, I thought we could actually call the pandemic the revealing for all that it has exposed about our collective and individual selves, right? And certainly, one of the areas deeply impacted by the changing circumstances for so many has been in the area of parenting, from working at home to college-age students returning home to schooling at home. Parents have been pushed to the limits to manage time, resources, and schedules in ways like never before since most societal resources for those have been pulled. And I don't know about you, but (laughs) pandemic or not, probably the number one area that has caused me to consider the state and contents of my soul more so even than my marriage has been actually parenting. So for today, we're going to welcome a person passionate about this area and setting parents up for success, not just in a pandemic, but in all phases of parenting, even in some cases before folks become parents. So where were you 24 years ago? (laughs) So I'm so looking forward to welcoming Alyssa Orweller to the podcast today. Ah, Crowd goes wild. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here and I'm excited to talk about this topic. Yeah, me too. Uh, Alyssa has been a counselor for seven years. She holds degrees in human development and family science and clinical mental health counseling kind of specializes in trauma, eating disorders, um, adult children of alcoholics. She's been married to Dave, who is a pastor of a church on the OSU campus. She's been married to him for nine years, and they have three children, Jake, Luke, and Addie, all under the age of five. Doesn't that sound fun? (laughs) When, uh, uh, When Alyssa saw a recent communication that we sent out about potential kind of soul directions that we could go, that myself and the team could pursue. One idea on the list was working toward a book on soul parenting is our idea. And that so resonated with where God has Alyssa and her thinking that she immediately reached out to me. And we began a little bit of dialogue. And that's where this particular discussion began through Alyssa's passion. And here it is to parent to the soul of our kids. That's why we're sitting together today, that God has so put in Alyssa the uh, passion to parent to the soul of our kids. So her work as a clinician and in deep daily experience as a mom has her thinking such thoughts as what she communicated to me in an email. Listen, she said, for most new parents, parenting seems similar to being thrown out into the ocean without a clear way back to the shore. And at the same time, trying to keep another human alive as well. My question has become, why are we not preparing parents more for the most important job of their lives? I love that she wrote that, and I love her picture there. So I'll say, welcome again, Alyssa. And I'll let you start there by sharing about your passion to help these ones bobbing about in the ocean. (laughs) Yes, thank you. So as I've been walking through the beginning years of parenting these past five years, I've learned more than I ever thought I would. And we've also, Dave and I, have pushed against more norms than I ever would have been comfortable before. My first child... Jake is a spirited child and he was a high needs baby. And so going into it, we just felt lost. 
now I desire to help mm. parents as they come face to face with this incredible privilege of raising God's children, whether they're spirited or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to think through the whys of the core of the decisions that they have been able to make or they have to make, and ultimately thinking through how the gospel and God's design merge together in parenting. Mm. So we kind of have come up with this idea of pre-parenting. I had the thought one time of why in the world do we have premarital, which is great, mm-hmm, and I'm right. all for premarital, right. but we don't have anything about parenting. Right. And at least in marriage, you're working with another adult, <laughs> let alone in parenting, you have this helpless child that mm-hmm. you're trying to do everything for. Mm-hmm. So this idea that we could come alongside parents whether they're early on in parenting or they are just ready to become parents soon uh, and kind of think through what are these bigger ideas that we can help them understand more and then kind of push against what society might say and think through what is best for our family and our child in terms of raising them for God. Oh, my goodness. I love it. Pre-parenting. You know, premarital counseling, premarital work is like – you know, part and parcel of what, in particular, the Christian culture uh, believes now when folks uh, want to get married in the church. But the idea of pre-parenting, I love it. Back to something that I sort of heard you say as you were talking there. Tell us a little bit more about what you're referring to when you use the phrase sort of pushing against the norms. Yeah, what we've seen is in our society, specifically the Western culture, and then also in the Christian church, we have these kind of set ways that we go about things. And maybe they're slightly different depending on what church you're in or what part of the country you're in. But there's this idea, whether it be on the message of sleep or breastfeeding or disciplining or schooling or eating, and there's kind of this shaming that comes of you should do it this way or you have to do it Mm -hmm. this way. And coming from having a child, Jake, who did not allow for us really to do anything (laughs) that was going with the grain. Mm -hmm. He came a week early. My first child came a week early. And I like to say he was a week, he's a week early kind of guy because (laughs) holy moly, he is ready for life. And so we kind of had to look at all of these areas and see what what do we really believe about them? Mm-hmm. What's going on here? Do we agree with the mainstream view of them? And sometimes we did, and, and that's been great. And other times we've kind of researched or we've done our own work. Um, and what we've come to see is, wow, how are we viewing children as a society? Mm. And how are we talking about them? Um, there's a lot of messages of, you shouldn't take that approach here um, in terms of they're not actually stated Uh, explicitly, but sometimes they're implicit. Like Mm. two of the questions that I think I got asked so many times with all of my kids is first, the stranger would come up to me and say, is he a good baby? (laughs) And with Jake, I'd be like, oh yeah, we're working on it. And then they'd ask, is he a good sleeper? I'm like, oh no, we'll get there eventually. Mm -hmm. And there's this message of if they're not sleeping, they're not a good baby. And then am I not a good parent because they're not sleeping? Mm -hmm. And it just runs into my stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, so there's different approaches to various issues, but what we I really want to help parents think through is, are we trying to fix the problem and making our kids behave? Or are we looking at their souls? Are we looking at what God would have for us here? 
Um, and like you said earlier, what I said of pushing against the norms. So to be intentional about how we view kids and how we view ourselves as well. How do we speak to them? How do we describe them? What language do we use when they're having a hard time or when mm -hmm. they do something great? Um, and ultimately, it's the whys behind what we're choosing to do with our kids. Are we taking time to think through that? Or are we just doing it because it works and we're trying to survive or because that's just what you do? And so we want to help people think through that. Mm, that's so good. That's so good. Boy, and what you just describes reminds me of uh, a time that we had early on in parenting where because of the nature of who our child was, there was no way that we could parent like the subculture that we were around, they were all agreeing on one format of parenting. And I want to fit in. Exactly. I totally want to fit in. Exactly. And these people were wise and I looked up to these people. Absolutely. And I'll be honest, I came to parenting. I went, I went to open up this parenting toolbox that we all sort of come to parenting with. And I opened it up and there was a lot of dust and no tools. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so in the panic that was Mike and I looking at my empty toolbox, we looked at his very, you know, full toolbox. And he looked at me and said, well, we're not supposed to parent like those other people. We're supposed to parent the child God gave us. Mm -hmm. And I was panicked and he was confident. But what that meant was we were supposed to do something different than literally all of our friends at the time. And it about killed me. Oh, absolutely. So much insecurity. So much of our stuff comes up in that. No joke. It literally about killed me. And so I remember that I actually had to put distance. It was the weirdest thing yes. between myself and some of my closest friends. I remember sitting on the couch during uh, his nap time, my child's nap time, sobbing, just thinking, how can this be right? And asking, the God, asking God for reassurance. And he would give it. He would say, you are to be a student of the child that I gave you. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a lifetime admonition that God has reminded me. We are to be students of each particular child that he gives us. And even from child to child, like yourself, you have multiple children. That, that each one of them is going to require some adjustments and some differences in how they're parented mm -hmm. if we're going to be students of our children over the lifespan. So, yeah, yes. this is great stuff. So when I think about these kinds of explorations, they're game changers in parenting. I mean, I just love... Alyssa, this idea, I'm kind of enamored by it, if you haven't figured it out, of free parenting. Because for me, the emphasis lends itself to shoring up weak places or repairing damaged areas ahead of time rather than waiting until, you know, parenting exposes them. Now, <laughs> I'm sure that's just my bias as an almost 30-year counselor, but that's kind of how I lens pre-parenting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's just this idea that I've seen how my work in my job with clients, and I see mostly young adults, but I also see the effects of how their parents parented them. And not that they're all malicious or horrible parents, but there's just stuff that we bring to the table as parents, and we see it affecting our kids generationally down the line. Um, and, you know, whether or not there's been trauma in the past or something that's seemingly small that influences us today, I believe that we have to process that past stuff in order to walk in freedom mm -hmm. from the lies that took hold and that we took on. Um, and as we understand that better than we, how we've been influenced throughout our lives, we'll be able to parent out of a place of the spirit, of the Holy Spirit with our kids rather than how our past has affected us. Mm -hmm. Preach. 
And, you know, an example that I see about this all the time that has just made me really consider, um, man, how are we talking to our kids and how are we talking about ourselves in front of our kids? Mm. So a big topic that has Mm. come with this is uh, body image issues or eating issues and specifically with moms and daughters, but also just the whole family culture and whole family way of of looking at food and looking at their body Mm -hmm. and to see how a parent talks about their body and talks about food or interacts with food and interacts with their child to then see the effects of that with their kids. Mm -hmm. Um, I see this with anxiety as well. And something that we're trying to be mindful of, um, of like, be careful. Oh, don't, don't climb up there. You'll fall. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's this anxiety that gets kind of bred in the culture of, I don't know if that's a good choice where Mm-hmm. Our kids are then right. less confident about what their bodies can do yep. um, instead of being confident in, oh, I can climb this or, yeah, this is probably a little too high for me. And we're still there to catch them, but they have an idea of what they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I love soul healing and I was listening to a podcast that uh, you had done, Tammy, earlier on. And I was reminded of the concept of vats. Mm-hmm. And I think that that just kind of really fits into this topic that we're talking about, obviously, because it's about kids. But when we're talking in soul healing about vats, mm-hmm. we're talking about our own past and how we have lower vats in some areas and higher vats in others. And just this idea of what needs were met when we are certain ages of kids yep. as kids and how that's affected us. And I think that that is one huge part of what I want to work with people in general about and myself, but then also to see, hey, if we know what needs need to be met Mm -hmm. in certain stages of life, are we looking at that in terms of are we meeting our kids' needs in those stages of life as well? And we can kind of work to fill up those vats as we're educated more about what they need. And you're, you're so right that even though that is not the forward direction of soul healing and particularly to talk about, you know, differentiating various developmental needs and how they are or are not met and how we are formed out of that, that so many folks who read soul healing and then go through their own grief and recognition process and understanding of why we do what we do in adult life. Then a secondary thing that happens on the heels of that is exactly what you're saying. So often then they're like, oh, wait, but I have kids in this stage and I can now see, oh, this is a way that I can focus on meeting these needs of this particular age and stage of life. And so, yeah, that's exactly right. It's kind of like they, they take vats and apply, you know, those concepts developmentally to their own children. Right. And I think all of this is so good because I know uh, you see the same thing that I do. And that is not just in our counseling office, but it is rampant everywhere we look. But the reality is, I heard this phrase once, it was something to the effect of this, and it is so true. It's that if parents don't pay the bill, they hand it to their children to pay. Some version of that, that there's sort of a tab, right, that our issues cost us. And if we don't deal with our own stuff, the stuff has to get dealt with somewhere. And so it's going to come out sideways. And so it's going to come out sideways to and even on and kind of through our kids if we're not willing to take responsibility and pay our own bill. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the bill keeps getting passed. Yes. Right? And, you know, the Bible talks about generational curses, talks about sins of the fathers, excuse me, sins of the father. And have you ever thought about why 
what is this about in the Bible? And I wonder, listener, I wonder myself, you all, do you distance yourself from this concept? Or do you stop and say, wait, what is God talking about when he draws a through line of generational curses, when he brings up this idea of, you know, to your children and your children's children and your children's children, when he talks about blessing, and then in the same fashion, when there are curses utilizing the same type of language, there is a reality here that there are such things as generational curses that, of course, are too much for this podcast, but sins of the father and the reality of things going through family systems, going through generations. Come on, everybody listening within the sound of my voice knows that's a true thing. That's a true Mm -hmm. thing. Whether it's as obvious as alcoholism in a family or as subtle as financial mismanagement, right? They're there. And I think it's because of many things, but primarily, like I said, because God tells us they're there, that it's really good for us to say, I want to be a responsible steward of that which is, you know, my, in my purview. So I think about this phrase uh, that has come to me over the years, just even myself and folks that I've dealt with, this idea of that which we have seen and heard in our formative years, the idea of it being in me that it's in me. So for instance, one of my parents had a really quick temper and that temper was like a trigger temper real fast. And as I developed into adulthood, and even as a child, never did I ever show any sign that that was a part of my personality. So young adulthood, nope, no temper, didn't have a temper. So I'm, I'm skating through thinking, Excellent. I don't have that thing. Right. But remember what I said at the outset of the podcast about parenting being the thing that reveals the most of (laughs) us. Dang it. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So it wasn't conscious, but somewhere along the line, I had just assumed like kind of I had escaped that, that I didn't have a temper. I just certainly didn't have it so far in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I was older when I had kids. And um, when I was, you know, uh, dealing with my infant son, my first one, he was probably, I don't even know. He was still baby, 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 because I was spoon feeding him. And um, he was, um, what are those awesome, beautiful little words you used about your son? Yeah, my son's passionate and spirited as well. And <laughs> <laughs> All about how we frame it. All about how we frame it. And uh, in his awesome, just explore everything and no time to settle and certainly do anything as mundane as eat well and learning to eat and having somebody else have to do it for me. Um, he, You know, the idea of settling for that. And so I was trying to feed him and, you know, he, he was still getting used to that idea. And he whacked the food out of my hand unintentionally. I will say that unintentionally and literally, I don't know what it was that got spewed all over the the uh, carpet all over the wall, all over himself, all over myself. And guess what happened right then? Boom. I don't know what I said, but I know I said his name in anger. And his eyes, he stopped and I stopped and I started to cry Mm -hmm. because I knew it was in me. It was the first sign I had seen and it scared me to death. But that's what it took. Yeah. It took parenting 
<laughs> to show me that that template that I had been formed around, that it's in me. And that, my friends, is a wise perspective to assume that those things are in us rather than to assume that they are not. Because when they we assume that they're in us, then it makes us wise about how we anticipate them and how we work with them rather than pretending they're not there until mm-hmm. they then uh, come out and capture us in some form or fashion. You know, our te- what I'm talking about are things like our templates. You know, the power of firsts. The power of all firsts are huge in our lives. You will always remember your first kiss, your first Buckeye game, your first taste of, you know, whatever, your favorite dessert. We remember our first exposure to sexual things, our first ideas about money, our templates of ways of eating, our templates of how you relax. You understand all those things were infused in us in our developmental years, in our family system. And so this whole idea of uh, generational curses of paying to the paying attention to the ways in which our context formed us it's not for blame come on come on mm-hmm. let's get beyond that it's not for blame it is for preparation and it is for maturity and it is for walking in a way that helps us to walk with clarity and responsibility instead of in darkness and reactivity absolutely And so that is why I'm so pumped we're talking about this and why the idea of pre-parenting includes this, paying attention to those issues that we know were a part of our family system and we know are a part of ourselves so that we assume it's in us and then therefore we're not caught off guard by it, but we work with it rather than against it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's just this idea that when we recognize this and we recognize the importance of doing our work, we can see man, our kids are so impressionable and they're so vulnerable and God has entrusted them to us. So when we can understand that there's this extent of laying the foundation for the makeup of our child's brain, and this is where I love neurobiology and, Mm -hmm. and learning more about it constantly and just development, we can see that, oh, wow, we have so much work to do and we've been influenced so much, like you talk about, of the generational patterns We can then see how we're directly influencing our kids. We can see how the way that we influence them will help them figure out how they talk to themselves, how they think about themselves and others and how they view God throughout their lives. Um, And I just think that there's this importance of the more emotionally intelligent we can be as parents and caregivers, the more we set our children up for success in their relationships in their schooling, in their careers, and in their view of themselves, God, and others. Mm, Huge, huge. And so, you know, you get two counselors in a room. We're probably going to geek out on neurobiology and stuff. But seriously, (laughs) you've mentioned to me having an avid passion about Daniel Siegel and his work, particularly with the whole brain child, correct? Yes. Yeah. Oh, it really is incredible stuff. So, Mm -hmm. listener... If you have any proclivity to that direction, please, we highly encourage you to expose yourself to this work. It's it's great stuff. Um, but for those of you who can't, Alyssa, what are some takeaways or even summary teaching points that you could give us about sort of this parent-altering work, I'll say? Yeah, and what I love about Siegel and his co-author is that they write in a way, they're both incredibly educated people, you know, they're all into the neurobiology and all of that, which... 
I don't understand the inner workings of that, but they write in a way that is so relatable and is so easy to read. And so the three kind of things that I've pulled out so far in my study of his work, um, the first one is just this idea of we need to regulate ourselves and educate ourselves in order to help our child as their unfinished brain develops. And keyword of unfinished, because their brains are still mm-hmm. developing. It's huge. And you know, this idea of self-regulation, we have to learn that in order to teach our kids that. And I think that that is something that is just (laughs) so hard for our society. We see that in this pandemic, right? Uh, Literally, we could just stop right there and all of us just cry a little bit. (laughs) So in this, we're talking deep breathing, counting to 10, phoning a friend, all of those things. Mm. And they seem so simple, but you know what? They are game changers. But I thought I was emotionally pretty stable. Like you said, Tammy, my kids have brought me to a place (laughs) where I figured out, yeah, no, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) And we just need to educate ourselves about what children can do at each developmental stage. And you know what? When we realize what they're capable of doing, we can have realistic expectations of them. And that's just been huge Mm -hmm. um, to understand more from his work. And then regulation and education will lead us to a better place to be able to seek understanding with our kids and respond to their needs of when they're having a hard time or when they need something rather than react Mm -hmm. out of anger or frustration. Mm -hmm. So that idea of regulation and education, but then he also goes into brain integration and, you know, that kind of sounds intimidating, but he defines it really simply of integration takes the distinct parts of our brain and helps them work together as a whole. And just noting this importance important thing that our brains are plastic or moldable, which means how our brain is wired is directly connected to how we interpret our experiences. And we can help our children tremendously when we are able to talk them through their challenging or scary or intense situations throughout their life starting early on. And you know what? I wish that someone would have talked through my intense, scary or challenging situations. And we saw this with my um, daughter, Addie, who's 19 months and she's starting to talk and she only has a few words but over the 4th of July this firework went Mm -hmm. off right out across the street from Mm -hmm. us and she got so scared by that and for the next two days we went through this repetition of work scary boom over and over (laughs) and over and I'd say oh that firework that was really scary it was loud and she would say, uh-huh. And it was, I as having read Daniel's work, being able to say, oh, she's telling the story and she's integrating her brain where if we just say, Addie, that's, you're safe, you're fine, it's okay, then we're stopping the brain integration from her working through that experience. And that's what we see all throughout mm-hmm. our lives. And that's what I see in, in the counseling office with adults of we have to work through that trauma or seemingly small and significant things that are actually significant. Um, And we can work through these, we can integrate our brains, and we can see that they're affected by um, them the rest of their lives, Mm -hmm. if it's integrated or not. For sure. Uh, And, you know, it's anything from severe issues to seemingly insignificant, like I said. And not only is brain integration important for kids, but also adults. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's just a big thing to remember. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, uh, Daniel Siegel has come up with this model called the hand-brain model. And I have incorporated it into my life of it's just a common thing that we talk about um, or I talk about with everyone who will listen. 
And this idea that we have an upstairs brain, which is our thinking brain, and a downstairs brain, which is our feeling brain. And when we're operating out of our upstairs brain, we're able to remain calm, intact. We're able to interact with others in a kind and respectful manner and Mm -hmm. go about our day. We're in the logic, rational, reasoning part. But when we get triggered by something, whether that's, you know, our kid swatting our the spoon out of our hand or them reacting in Mm -hmm. some way or someone cutting us off in traffic or not having a mask on or whatever it might be, our lid flips Mm -hmm. and that upstairs brain goes offline and we start operating from our feelings brain, our downstairs brain. And when this brain takes over, we have little control over what we do with our body or our words and we are not able to think logically or Mm -hmm. rationally. So Mm -hmm. to get our brain back online, we have to engage in the mindfulness that I mentioned earlier Um, of deep breathing or stomping our feet or exercising or journaling. And when we can regulate our body, our lid flips back down. We can go back into that upstairs brain and (laughs) think logically and rationally again. We can resolve conflict that might have happened and repair any relationships. Um, So, you know, those are... so good. Yeah. Did you just... Did you literally just accuse me of flipping my lid? <laughs> I think I did. Okay. <laughs> I'm so guilty of it myself. I can feel it coming now and sometimes I can't stop it. Well, I think, you know, when you and I were talking earlier, it's just, you know, it, it's it's how to work with how God created our bodies mm-hmm. physically to go along with the working out of the fruits of the spirit recorded in Galatians 5, 22. It's, you know, how to walk uh, in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, you know, self-control, gentleness, those kinds of things. This is how we are helped to be able to do those things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it that you said to me that Siegel just, uh, the work just helps us to understand and empathize with our kids Mm -hmm. rather than coming at them with assumptions, you know, so rather than like, why'd you steal that toy? You can go to, you know, a version of, uh, can you help me understand what was going on here? Yes. Like, how did that toy end up in your hand? Mm-hmm. Like, what was going on? What were the circumstances that led to you having Jacob's toy right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than moving towards assumption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to the kinds of things, though, that you're seeing in your office and in, in parenting in particular, of the types of issues that parents can carry undealt with, that can have deleterious effects on kids. Uh, I'd like to just know from you, what are the biggest issues? This is, this is kind of an unfair question, but just in your opinion, what are the biggest issues that can have an impact on kids? Yeah. And I think, you know, we could go to, there's absolutely an effect when we talk about the generational effects of trauma, like we mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. and things that are left unprocessed in, in their own trauma, whether that happened just to them or to their family line. But then you have addictions of alcohol, drugs, pornography, food, entertainment. But you know what? There can be so many different issues that we all have. I think what's really important to know, and this is what I strive to do in my office and what I hope to do in parenting is to see that these are all symptoms of our underlying root problem of what's going on with our identity. Mm-hmm. What are we looking Come to on. for our worth and yes. how are we getting our value? And so when the symptoms arise, I strive to look deeper of what's really going on here. What are the heart level problems? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I saw we we talked about this before, but I saw this infograph on Facebook or something um, showing that we're either continuing a trauma cycle or we're working against it. 
but we're all doing one or the other. Hmm. And that was just really significant to me of, wow, I'm either continuing these generational effects or I'm working against it. That's huge. Where am I at? Where am I at? Oh, that's a great question for us. That's a great takeaway tool for us to be thinking about what are the potential generational things that work in my family system? And am I continuing them on or am I working against them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what would you say to the person who is realizing that they're struggling, you know, with their worth or their value or their, their identity, you know, even as a parent? I think that it's so worth pursuing our past stuff or, mm. you know, whether that's from growing up or from that those times in middle school that we had hard times in friendships or, mm-hmm. you know, college or whatever it might be. And I kind of work through this uh, method or uh, kind of concept of, okay, what messages have we heard throughout mm-hmm. our life? What are the voices that we've taken on? our core beliefs that are at the heart of what's driving us in these behaviors. And then at the bottom, what's our identity worth and value. And so our messages that we receive, we get messages. We're flooded with messages all the time from media, from social media, from people we're interacting with, from our parents, from, you know, the next door neighbor. And these can look like, Oh, you got an A minus. Hmm. Why can't you be more like your sister? Your mm. brother never did that. Right. That side eye expression that I just have <laughs> come to loathe when our kid is struggling at the park. And if you were a good parent, your kid would be behaving themselves right now like everyone else. And these, not that they're said all the time, but right. they can be implicit. And, yeah. you know, in church even, if we need more people to serve. Have you considered serving in another role? And depending on how we interpret this, a voice in our head could say, you should be doing more you're not doing enough. And those voices, the voices we all have, we're not Mm -hmm. all crazy. You know, some of us are a little crazy, (laughs) but, but these voices of, do you really think you can do that? Or what if you look like a fool? Where did they come from? And what I have come to find, which is just fascinating to me, is that those statements are usually you statements. It's not, we're not thinking in an I way. It's not, I don't think I can do that. Or I might look like a fool. A lot of times it comes from Satan's voice of Mm -hmm. shame. You can't really do that. That's right. Um, And so then those messages and those voices lead to our core beliefs. And that's at like the heart of what we're, what we're believing about ourselves of I'm not good enough. I don't Mm -hmm. measure up. I'm not worth fighting for. I'm replaceable. I'm able to be abandoned. Um, And those flow into our identity, worth and value which can be, I'm only worth spending time with if I measure up, or I'm valuable when I can perform and achieve. I am what I can do, or who am I? Doesn't matter. Only what I can produce for people. Yes. And those all flow into parenting, right? Of, right? If we're believing these things about ourselves, then, oh gosh, our kids are going to destroy us, which, you know, <laughs> there's that refining that I think mm. parenting is. But when we can work through these issues, these these messages, voices, core beliefs, and identity worth and value and replace them with what God says about us and who Jesus is in us, Mm -hmm. we have a totally different view of ourselves and we have a totally different schema to work out of when we interact with others and when we think about ourselves or speak about ourselves or talk to our kids and interact with our kids. Oh, it's huge. Absolutely huge. Like I just literally got done with a session, you know, with a 60 something year old executive leader, so many employees, phenomenal 
phenomenal person, just tremendous footprint on this world, tremendous legacy for the Lord. And guess what we were talking about? We were talking about a core belief Mm -hmm. that had developed when he was a child that has never been ferreted out. And it has to do with rejectability, that fundamentally he's rejectable and a lot of his behaviors come about as a result of that. And it's just fascinating to think about. So fascinating. That here he is at 60-something having to go through that right now and look at it right now. And, And here's the point. No matter where you are in your journey, it is worth this kind of exploration. God, if God's got you at 60, yes, 60 something and even older to explore something like this, or if you are literally 16 and God wants you to explore this, take it from the Lord that it's worth it, that today's exploration and the freedom that'll come is worth it. I'm going to always advocate that that kind of soul work of any sort works. But you know, when it comes to parenting, have you noticed? It's just that we want equations. Ah, well, actually, it's not just parenting. I think it's anything. It's our bent. We can't help it. We want the 12 steps, the four best plans for blank. I mean, when you think about what clickbait is, you know, so often it has to do with these are the 12 best memes from, these are the 14 best, you know, beauty products, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I, and I think, oh, that's, that was my clickbait, so to speak, when it came to parenting. I just wanted the formulas. Mm-hmm. I wanted the equations. I was so desperate for help that I just wanted to know, like, just tell me how to best do this. Just give me the steps to make sure that he's going to behave well and they're going to turn out well, right? <laughs> and so I was so desperate for that that I'll honestly never forget um, as a young woman who had no, you know, like I said earlier, uh, tools in my parenting toolbox, and yet I had this baby in my arms. Uh, I was at a conference where there were older women and younger women. And I remember that one of the younger women that was my friend, she said, oh, I'm going to get lunch with so-and-so. And And I was like, you are? She said, yeah, I'm going to ask her some questions about parenting. And I was like, like my radar was up. And I thought, I'm going to go eavesdrop on that lunch. (laughs) (laughs) And 100%, that's what I did. And uh, it was fascinating as those two women sat down and I literally pretty much went over and smiled at them and just got as close as I could. And they both knew I was eavesdropping and they were both fine with it. I'll never forget as my friend just laid it out like, so tell me, blah, 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 blah. And she asked a question that was basically my question, which is, tell me the formula for how to get my kids to turn out like your kids because her kids were awesome and they were older. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget uh, what the older woman basically deliberately um, led the younger woman in the conversation to be. She basically led that conversation with this question. Do you have their heart? Do you have their heart? So as, you know, as much as we want the formulas and we want the equations, that conversation changed me. And it reminded me that there are no equations. There's no 12 steps to the perfect child. I think God has given you the children that he's given you. If you're listening because you're a parent, because you're the very best parents for those children. Let's not call God stupid and think that, you know, Sarah would be better a parent, would be a better mother for your children than you are. Let's not question the Almighty One (laughs) who set the stars in motion. But let's move with His plan for giving you the children He's given you if you are blessed with children. 
And let's say, okay, that what he's looking for is a willingness to go after their heart, to be one who studies each child with an intention to want to do well and to want to love well. So, yeah. So, it, yes, I think this is the tension that at least I'm feeling. I think, Alyssa, you are as well, because we talked about this, which is wanting to, we know we're calling each one of us to kind of hard work because looking mm-hmm. at the soul is never easy. And yet to be encouraged that this hard work is worth it. What what was that quote? You You had some quick parenting quote. Yeah, it says, we circumvent the work of the spirit when we accept a quick parenting fix mm. in place of the sacrificial hard work involved in relational parenting with its goal of heart level change. And I just think focusing on matters and issues of the heart rather than outward behaviors and seeing outward behavior as a manifestation of what's going on in the heart rather than simply squelching or punishing the behavior without acknowledging the heart is going to be huge Mm. in terms of their relationship with God, in terms of their relationship with us and others and themselves. Oh, it's huge. And, And just like from biblical times through today, yes, evil's tactic is to entice believers to focus on the behavior instead of the heart. Mm-hmm. You told me when we were chatting prior to this conversation that we have to be asking how Satan is wanting to do that here where we're not aware of in Christian culture. Did, did you want to expound on that at all? Yeah, this is something that I just get so fired up about because <laughs> I just think, man, Satan is the master deceiver. Yeah. He's the master manipulator. And I just wonder how sneaky he has been in terms of parenting because, let's be real, it's an incredibly hard and exhausting and yes. demanding job, yet it's the most important work, at least in my opinion, that we can be doing to further God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. And what better way for Satan to sabotage future believers than to deceive parents into believing that certain ways of raising children or certain single verses of the Bible are how we are to discipline or punish our children or raise them. And I'm just convinced that we need to do our own work to figure out what's actually going on in the Bible in our hearts and minds and from our past in Mm. order to be in a place that we can disciple and nurture the relationship with our children, their hearts, and their relationship with God. Yeah, so good. So let's let's go back to that quote you said a minute ago so we can hear it again. We circumvent the work of the Spirit. Keep going. When we accept a quick parenting fix— in place of the sacrificial hard work involved in relational parenting with its goal of heart level change. Uh Uh-huh, with the goal of heart level change. That's Mm -hmm. so good. Yeah, and to your point, we can see all manner of satanic divisiveness in these times. I mean, uh, this pandemic has been a hotbed of side-taking and debate-making. But in particular with parenting, we can see that that happens a lot, pandemic or not. So from the cross-section of people you work with, would you say this pandemic has been, I don't even know how to say it, more positive or helpful in the parenting realm or actually more, you know, bringing more challenge and more frustration in the parenting realm? What have you seen? Yeah, I think that there's been both in, you know, my circles or the circles of people that I'm working with. I don't, you know, have enough of an exposure Mm -hmm. to a lot of different demographics. So I think, you know, when we're talking single parents or we're talking people who are not in a place of being able to stay home with their kids or work from home, it's a totally different, uh, totally different section of what's going on with the pandemic. But in terms of what I've seen, there's in my own life and with others that I'm close with, there's more space 
to think through or to be with our kids, more mm-hmm. time for family. Um, and, you know, there's this prime opportunity for us to take a look at what we're about and why we're doing the things that we're doing, who we're spending time with, why are we spending time with that, with those people or with doing those things. But then there's the other side of a lot of support has been taken away, you know, in terms of having somebody watch our kids or being able to go on play dates or um, being able to just hang out with friends. So there's just a lot that is factoring into it all. And I think that it can be go, it can go either way. Yeah. And I've seen that too, actually, from clients to colleagues to friends, Mm -hmm. same. I think it's dependent upon the particular system. So how about for you personally? How's your parenting and life been affected in these times where stay-at-home orders and whatnot have changed all our lives? Yeah, I have to be honest. At first, I was thinking, oh, crap, what are we going to do? (laughs) Because with the um, energy that all of our children have, we were getting out of the house every day Mm. to a park or to COSI or to the zoo or to a friend's house or having somebody over. And I have just seen man, we have some unlearning to do. And Tammy, you did a a devotional early on in the pandemic that I saw that was about unlearning. And I just love that concept of, wow, we have learned so many things Mm -hmm. that we weren't even aware of. And then especially with parenting of there's just a lot of times, at least in my life, where I start going and I have 50 different things that I'm doing at once in a day. And to be able to take a step back, to be forced to, and to see, oh, less is better for our family. Mm. <laughs> and especially for our spirited high needs kid, which I would have never thought. I thought we won't survive this. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, there's the other side of it where there's just not those same mental health outlets of being with friends or being able to to go out or having sitters watch the kids. Yeah, so yeah. it's been a both for me as well. Yeah. Oh, well, Alyssa, this has just been awesome to spend this time with you and to hear about God's vision of parenting to the soul and the pre-parenting passion that he's put inside you and Dave. And so as we come to an end here, uh, what parting encouragement or instruction if you could tell every everyone just sort of one thing, what, what would you what would you want? If you could be assured that they would go do it, you know, anything like that, what would it be? What What do you want to tell the folks as you get ready to peace out? Yeah, you know, I want to push the norm the limits a little here and say, okay, I have two. Okay, one, <laughs> just like every good counselor, yes, ready to go. Exactly. <laughs> um, we've talked about them throughout this time, but one, do your own work in terms of your beliefs and perspectives on parenting, but also your own past, and it is so worth it, yeah. as we've reiterated over yeah. and over. And then the other thing I'd say is just think outside the box and allow yourself to question the norms and the typical ways we see of how we as a society view children and child rearing and just see where the spirit might lead you. Yeah, so good. Well, this has been so good to be together, and I am so thankful that God gives wisdom to all who ask generously without finding fault. That is, that's his promise in James 1, 5, that he really does give wisdom to all who ask generously. There's no fault finding with God. He's not saying, oh, so you're asking for wisdom now after you've screwed up with your kids. Oh, so you're so you're asking for help now on the heels of, you know, now that you have a wayward child. No, God does not do that. He gives generously to all who ask without finding fault. And so let's all right now, no matter where you're at, let's just stop and say, God, I want your wisdom. 
God, I want to be a person that walks in the ways of your wisdom who, like you say in Proverbs, is a very bad place to live, that we do not lean on our own understanding, that we do not become wise in our own eyes, oh God, that we would be parents who want to lean on your understanding, to trust in you with all our hearts, that these children that you've given us, that these people that you've given us to grow and to influence, they're still yours first, Mm -hmm. but you've entrusted them to us on purpose. You didn't make a mistake. We didn't get the wrong kids. And so that you're pleased to give us these kids and you're pleased to put them in our care and you you didn't mess something up. And I pray that everyone listening would walk in that confidence. God, I thank you that your word says you desire wisdom in the inmost part, truth in the inner places. That's what the psalmist says. And that's why we're here. We want truth in the inner place. That's what we're talking about, God, that you've had us talk about today. Would you allow us to be people that have truth in the inner parts so that, yes, when out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, yes, Lord, you tell us that as well, that as we speak and as we interact with our kids, that it's your wisdom that comes out, that it's your truth that comes out rather than our knee-jerk reactions or those things that, quote, it's in me that we've seen from generations before us and our firsts and our templates that your wisdom and your template and your um, truth would trump it all. So God, I thank you so much for Alyssa. I pray your anointing on her and her practice, and especially on these just incredible, pivotal, huge, life-changing opportunities that you've given her and Dave to um, instruct so many in this pre-parenting idea. I pray your blessing upon that. And God, we thank you so much that uh, parenting was your idea and that we're your kids. And that you're the best parent ever, ever, ever. And that just like every good parent, Lord, you just tell us you love us over and over again. And you are delighted in who you've made us to be. And that you speak to our souls all the time. And you delight in who we are at the core. And maybe, just maybe, that's what somebody needs to be reminded of today. I pray your blessing on all. In Jesus' name, amen.